Paul writes to Christian sisters and brothers in Thessalonica or Thessalonica. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. God has destined us, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before the service started, Whitney came out and reminded us that we're drawing to the end of the church's calendar year. Next Sunday, Christ the King will be the last Sunday before we begin a new year. And if you've been paying attention to the lessons as of late, they all have something to do with end times. End times. We're talking about the Lord coming again at the end of history. And that's appropriate given the context in which the lessons are set. Jesus is in the last days of his life. He has come into Jerusalem triumphant, and then he's upset the temple authorities, and he teaches with parables, and he says the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And so these last few weeks we have these parables about the kingdom of heaven, what it will be like, how we are to await it. Recall last week those five bridesmaids who had oil in their lamps and the five who didn't. And so this week we have that somewhat inscrutable, or dare I say somewhat upsetting parable of the five talents. Recall Jesus' teaching that the end times are coming and the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Now, if we listen to that parable with one set of eyes and ears, particularly in light of the first lesson in Zephaniah, we might be led to believe that end times will be times when God comes in wrathful fury and anger. Those lessons from the prophet Zephaniah are somewhat unsettling, at least they are to me. They talk about a God who in the end will judge one from another. Some will be elect, some will not. God will come in wrath and in anger and in fury. So if we listen to the parable of the five talents, from that perspective, there's a risk that we might see the, the owner, the man, the property owner, as God. There's a risk that we might see, equate God with that person who gives to his three slaves some talents for safekeeping. Recall the parable. There's a rich man, and he's going away. Perhaps he's going away on business. He calls his three slaves to come 
and get directives before he leaves. To one slave, he gives five talents. Now, a talent is a huge sum of money. It's worth about 20 years of someone's employment. So we're talking 100 years of income. So to one, he gives five talents. To another, he gives three talents. And to, to another, he gives two. And off they go, and off he goes to his business. And the first takes the five talents, and what does he do? He multiplies them and brings back ten. Similarly, the second doubles the talents, but the third takes the talents and buries them. Buries them. The, if you will, the, the rich man returns and he asks for a reckoning. The first says, here are the five talents that you gave me and here are five more. I've doubled your income. Good job, faithful and loyal servant. And similarly, the second, look, I've doubled mine, those you gave me to be steward of for you. Well done, good and loyal servant. But the third, what's the third say? The third says, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. Reaping what you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seeds. The third slave was afraid of the master. So he hid the, the talents and gave him back what he was originally given. And what does the master say? In his fury and wrath, he cast the third slave out into the darkness. Now the problem with equating God with the master is that we can quickly fall into a mindset that unless we multiply resources for the sake of what God's doing in the world, we're going to be cast out into, the, uh, uh, out into the outer darkness. I don't believe that this is what Jesus intended, this interpretation, in the parable of the five talents. Biblical scholars and anthropologists are quick to point out that in the economy of ancient Israel, they believed in a closed economic system. A zero-sum game, if you will. There were no more resources to be multiplied, so if some had, it meant others had less. If some grew in their income, it meant that that meant others would not have, would be taken away from them. That's why the third slave says, you're a wicked man, and you make your money sowing seeds or reaping where you did not sow or gathering where you did not scatter seed. You take from the poor. William Herzog, a biblical scholar in his book Parables as Subversive Speech, talks about how perhaps God is not that wrathful master who takes where he does not sow. Perhaps God, perhaps Jesus, 
might in fact be the third slave. Perhaps God and Jesus says, I don't want to participate in that abusive system that alienates people one from another, that allows for some to have and others to have not. Perhaps God is fundamentally about right relationship, abundance for all, possibility for all, new life for all. So perhaps Jesus as God incarnate, the one with us, is here to herald a new way. To say that we don't need to participate in abusive circumstances or death-dealing relationships, whether that's in our family lives, in our own lives if we struggle with substance abuse, in relationships with our neighbors, and in relationship at work. Perhaps God is saying, there is another way. There is a kingdom of God, a kingdom of God based upon right relationship, where all people can be restored to unity with God and each other in Christ. That's what Paul is saying to the Christians in Thessalonica. That's why he can say to those Christians in Thessalonica that are worried that at the end times, those who have already died will not be gathered up in the saints of light. Paul says, no, you don't have to worry about that. You are children of the light. You are children of a different way. You are children of the way of God, the way of wholeness, the way of health, the way of possibility, not the way of abuse or of wrath or of anger. That's why Paul writes, for God has destined us, not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. You see, God came in Jesus to cross those boundaries that alienate us from God, from each other, and from all creation. God came in Jesus to be a new way, a way that all have access to the abundance and love of God. And God in the Holy Spirit invites each and every one of us, by virtue of our baptism, to participate in that work of God, in that repair of the world, in that making all things new. That's what the end times are about. Well, the end times are fundamentally about a world, a creation of God, where all people can be restored to right relationship. Right relationship themselves, right relationship with others, and right relationship with God. That's what God intends. That's what God has made real and accessible in Jesus. And that's what we're invited into. That reign of God, that kingdom of God, where all things will be made new. And the hurts and the alienation and the suffering that we know can in fact 
be overcome and made full and real and healed and whole in the love of God in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus.